coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, once again, the fucking pilot back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Always looking for new people to talk to, uh, old rock stars and new up-and-comers, people that have different points of view in skydiving, and I got another one on the line as we speak. So tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name's Jimmy McCarthy, and I run a coaching business for tunnel and skydiving called JST Coaching. Nice, nice. That's uh, uh, it. Seems to be a very uh, um, cool mix to be able to do both. Uh, you know, be able to get the skills down in the tunnel and then take it to the air. And it seems to be a very profitable line of work these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those ideas of. Uh, I absolutely love teaching, and I got into skydiving, and I had a good chat with uh, Mason Corby, who runs Down Our Dynamics, and he pointed me this way. He goes, "If you want to." do this for a living, you know, cut away from real life work and still be able to pay a mortgage, <laughs> then you've got to be able to be a tunnel coach. Sure. Yeah. And I don't disagree that, with that at all. That whole idea of being a, uh, a drop zone bum never really sat with me too well. It's always been like, like as a military background, it's always been quite structured, quite like I like having a home mm. sort of thing. So, uh, Having that ability to run a business and be profitable and be able to provide a great service without being <laughs> sat on a drop zone. Sure, sure. Now, uh, you, exactly. you, you brought up the real world. So in the real world before you came this direction, uh, were there any other extreme sports? I mean, how did you, how did you find your way to skydiving and tunnel flying? So the, probably the first thing I was doing, like I've, I grew up from a family of boys, so I've got three brothers and uh, basically mum and dad. Sure. So poor mum had to deal with that. So it's always been huh. motorbikes or skiing or downhill or it's always been some form of like we were outside doing something. Sure. So my first real love was probably motocross. So I owned a, a CR250R and until I hit a tree doing about 60 kilometers an hour, oh, it was shit. all amazing. So yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Wake, wake, waking up. And uh, the dust had settled and the bike had turned off and I had no one around me because I happened to be doing a track by myself, quite silly at the time. Mm. I was like, do you know what? Maybe I, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. And uh, <laughs> sold the bike. And then uh, it was actually a, another, like uh, I got out of the army, had some spare money from working in the mines and thought I need to do something else now. Did a tandem skydive at Noosa in uh, Queensland, in Australia, mm. and that was me. I was in. So you one, one jump, I was in. So you you hit a tree with a motorcycle and went, no, this is uh, this is too dangerous. I'm going to go jump out of airplanes. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, put it this way. Put it this way. It didn't surprise my mum. Sure. So like, fair enough. I tired up my mum was like, oh, I'm going to go learn to do this. I'm going to do this. And it was, she was like, oh, that's fair enough. At least it's not road bikes. And I think a bit of the whole not realizing how dangerous it is. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's kind of I funny, mean, though. Most uh, normal people, you would tell them, I gave up motocross to do something uh, safer like skydiving. They would laugh at you. But any jumper knows damn well 
it's a fuckload safer than riding motorcycles. Yeah, there's a there's a sad statistic in my life where I've had more friends pass away on the roads than I have on drop zones. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. So it's like, what was kind of funny when I went from uh, being a full time skydiver to a full time jump pilot, my family was quite relieved that you know after I think I'd probably done nine or ten thousand jumps, but close to by that time, they were very relieved that I wasn't going to be jumping out of airplanes every day, and I had to of course break it to them that it was dramatically more dangerous for me to stay in the plane than it was to jump out of the plane. I'm like, well, guys, if a wing comes off the plane, I can't just, you know, throw another wing out there and keep on flying. <laughs> you know, so they didn't quite understand. And it's very difficult for people to get that under the right circumstances and, and with a trained professional, skydiving is really pretty safe by comparison. It is. And especially with skydiving, you can pick and choose who you jump with, what turn you put on your canopy. Yeah, there's obviously bits that come out of it, but a lot of your adult decision making uh, keeps you really safe. Like sure. in the last in the last twelve months, I feel like I've come through that that second stage of uh, like you got the hundred jump danger area, mm -hmm. then the five thousand jump area. Now I've got closer to fifteen hundred jumps. It's more like you feel grown up and make a lot better decisions. Oh yeah. To keep it even safer. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, um I used to call it the um the de-license hold. Uh you'd see uh, um sketchy conditions or stuff that uh might not be the best to go skydive in and the only people you would have lined up at the windows would be the guys with the A and B licenses while all the, you know, <laughs> C and D jumpers are sitting on the couch going fucking have at it fellas, you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's that de-license hold going, "No, I've been there. I'm smart enough to know I don't want to be up in that shit." What's the uh, what's the saying? It's better to be down here wishing you were up there than up there wishing you were down here. Yeah, that's so very true these days. Oh yeah. Yeah. Make, make making making good skydives. Right? Make the quality ones, not just jumping just for the sake of getting out of the airplane, but making a quality jump and making a safe jump and and um, you know, keeping your head screwed on. So, you said yeah. your your mom was not surprised that uh, you started to want to skydive, but was she happy about it? She's uh the coolest thing about my mom is that she's never never doubted anything that I've ever wanted to do. So, like when I was 12 i wanted to join the army cadets mm. and off we went and then uh when i was 16 it was like i'm going to join the army and um the only rule i had on was that i needed to pass all my you know, year 12 the final year of high school results mm. so it's like if you pass year 12 you can join the army and so she signed that dotted line and i was in the army from 17 to six months wow so um what, what did i've you, always been that what did you do in the military I was an aircraft life support fitter, so I did helmets and jackets and life rafts and all the stuff that can save yourself. So I worked on Blackhawks for nice. a few years, and I deployed to East Timor, did some peacekeeping over there. Wow. And then was posted up to the uh, Tiger Regiment in uh, Darwin, Australia, which was really quite cool, which is where where I developed my method and, and love of teaching. Mm. So... And it was, it was probably the best seven years of my life, just such the, the, the lad mentality, the boys, and you can picture what a bunch of young army lads get up to when you all live on base and it's all a bit, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it gets just, a bit hectic. 
I'd imagine, uh, but uh, I, I I don't think it's that much different than what goes on uh, at a, a rather hectic drop zone. You just toss women into the mix, and it's still the same shenanigans, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty out of fucking control stuff. Uh, um, unregulated, I think, would probably be a great way to look at the uh, the ground activities in jumping. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Like when my I really cut my teeth at York in uh western australia and that's a that's an hour and a half inland from perth mm. and there is nothing there's not there's a small little town and then a massive glorious drop zone mm. and it's like you just stay on that drop zone all weekend shit must come unhinged in that place because i've been to perth and perth itself is a pretty quiet reserved place so i can't imagine if you put a bunch of jumpers out in the middle of nowhere an hour inland from perth fucking hell yeah man and i tell you what the coolest thing about that drop zone so uh they did the the sundown a few years ago gonna be four years ago now and uh at the back of the drop zone so picture like a large drop zone in the bottom corner, they dug out half the hill and put two sea containers in. <laughs> okay. Then they cut the center of the sea containers out, made it into one massive room, and then reburied it back into the hill. <laughs> put a bar, put a stereo, put a fire pit in front of it, and basically after midnight, anything can happen in the world, and no one would know if you're in that in that dungeon. <laughs> All the shenanigans happen in the pit. <laughs> oh, man. And it's so glorious. So you probably would have seen Funny Farm. Do you know the Funny Farm uh, videos from uh, Queensland? Well, they – do you know they have the, they've got Funny Farm written like the Hollywood sign? Right. Well, they've got the dungeon <laughs> <laughs> plunged in. I can absolutely amazing. Oh, I can only imagine. Well, and and uh, um, Aussies are a lot like Americans. We're pretty uh, um, loud and boisterous and ready to have a good time. Um, it, so I can only imagine, especially in that area again, where it's the town's relatively mellow. Jesus Christ, the parties must have been out of control. Oh man, some of the I've seen some pretty amazing skydivers be do some pretty amazing stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> Both in the air and on the ground, I'll bet. Oh man! So now, uh, yes, I, I was gonna because my, my first, my I only had like uh, I think it was about a hundred jumps at my first sundown of boogie, and because um, I was working in the mines at the time, mm. I had the whole week off and basically halved work for the drop zone, and then spent the rest of the time jumping. Mm. So it was like in the evenings I do a little bit of work, and then during the day I could jump my ass off. Sure. And it was possibly the coolest thing to have these rock stars. So we had like Matt Hill, Domi Kerr, Amish Selecki, Pete Allen, all these people from like top of the world sure. came over to this drop zone and I had 100 jumps. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Oh, man. It was like I did, I did some stuff with Pete Allen and that was another draw in to like one of the famous things he said that week to me was, no one told me I couldn't make money in this sport. So I, I just did. I haven't, haven't touched a single drogue. And uh, here we are. Yep. I think it's like 
Is it 25 years later or 30 years later? Oh, yeah. How long has he been? Yeah, yeah. Man, there's a lot of pioneers that uh, that carved out uh, livings in skydiving in in a non-conventional way, in a non-conventional sport. Uh, and they're, of course, the standouts. I mean, uh, all the way back from the beginnings. And, and I had the privilege of talking to Bill Booth not long ago, who was doing this shit, you know, when they were, you know, spending $40 on basically old military gear with no clue what was going on and starting almost from scratch and ended up with, you know, systems like the three rings and the microns and Sigma tandems and all this stuff, just, you know, all because they were like, nope, let's find a different way. I mean, how incredible is that? Yeah, that it's that uh, it's that people with inhibition that just keep pushing. Oh, it's yeah. like if you want if you want to make money doing something you love, then you just do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you, do it, you do it till someone will pay you to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I think it's it's a, a great way to put it. Is the nobody told me I couldn't, so I did. Um, yeah, which is it. exactly how it should be. Now you had said uh, you were working in the mines out there. That's not exactly a low key easy job. What were you doing up there? So I was working as a, a process technician. So we would get the dirt uh, given to us from the miners and uh, we would take it from dirt with gold in it and process it all the way through until we were giving a product to the goldsmith to turn into gold bars. Oh, wow. So it sounds, it sounds sort of glorious, but uh, you basically learn how to mix dirt and water into a, into a pulp. <laughs> then pump it and then deal with all the problems of pumps and conveyor belts and yeah, everything possibly go wrong. That so doesn't sound the least bit glorious to me. I, no, man. So like some days would be absolutely amazing. You could be sat working at a computer watching graphs and pump pressures and it'd be all nice and cool. And then a pump would go, a pulley would go, dirt would change something, you know, I spent eight hours on the end of a shovel digging out a conveyor belt to get the mine going oh, again. Oh, Jesus Christ. Stuff. Yeah, man. So, like, it was glorious some days, you know, when it just run. So you could turn up to work and do nothing except your normal checks. And then other days you'd turn up and just have your, have your ring gear hanging out all day. Oh, I don't doubt it. I had uh, um, actually a guy that uh, his episode just released not that long ago, one of my closest friends in the world is named Derek Massey, uh, who's chucking drogues in Western Australia now. Uh, but he was working for the mines as well. And this is a guy that was born and raised uh, um, or basically raised in San Diego, uh, all of a sudden finds himself working as a welder and boiler tech in the mines in Western Australia. And the stories he would tell me, oh, fucking hell. Yeah, no, nah, that's oh. not for me. <laughs> Man, some of the the culture out there and the it was it was even more remote than anything I've ever been to. So at my our mine site was two and a half hours flight from Perth, mm. then another hour and a half drive from that small little airport strip. Jeez. So it was like you lived and breathed with the five hundred other people on camp. Yeah. And you lived and breathed with the five dudes on your crew, like it's just unbelievable. And it's funny that you mentioned Derek Massey because I, uh, I was doing a little bit of work for Sky of the Beach at the same time as he was there. So I've known Derek for years as well. Nice. Nice. He, um, some of the, it was actually quite funny. I was listening to the, that podcast and I knew some of those Las Vegas stories from and the original free fly stories <laughs> that he was talking about back in the day, you know, 
finding finding the biggest dude he could find that we had to, a hell arch on him so he could practice doing his stand on camera because yep. there was no one else that could stand him at the same speed as him. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, man, all that shit. I mean, uh, he and I had so many crazy stories. We literally could have kept a podcast going for hours because we were both – in Vegas and working for this one particular drop zone at a time in our careers where we were both pretty good at what we were doing. You know, we were both yeah, good yeah. video flyers and both solid tandem instructors. And so we were um, having fun with it, you know, as well as doing the job. And so we got up to some some proper fun stuff. And, of course, it was Las Vegas, so weird shit happens all the time, you know. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I got, got the opportunity to go to Vegas the uh... – Last year, <laughs> and uh, I'm keen to go back. It was a bit of a, uh, a husband-wife trip with the birthday, so I definitely want to go back and uh, do it proper with a bunch of lads. Oh, yeah. No, that town, uh, I, I lived in that town for a long time, and, and uh, if you're a tourist in Las Vegas, give it four days, maybe five, and you will have an amazing time. Stay any longer than that, and you're asking for trouble. <laughs> 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 night one will catch up with you from night three. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Go there with a certain <laughs> amount of money you're going to spend and go there with no particular expectations other than a fair amount of trouble and get out when you say you're going to leave and you're good. You'll have an amazing time. Otherwise, Las Vegas can be a little rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A little bit. The city that never sleeps. Oh, no, it never does, man. So now you you start jumping and and uh, very early on you're um, in you're in it kind of with the best of the best at this drop zone, not just uh, as far as the jumping goes, but as far as the lifestyle goes. Um, what was the biggest draw for you? Was it uh, um, just the jumping in general, or was it the people in the whole package? I think well, it was the belonging that really drawed me in. Like it was. The fact that all these people from different walks of life could all turn up to the same place. Mm. We all had something in common and there was always conversation and banter and everyone was the same, you know, same sorts of personalities, if right. you know what I mean. So yeah. it's always got people slightly on the fringe and and there's so little, like, judgment done. You know, it was – some of the most rock star skydivers were the poorest and then some of the richest people that were, you know, were terrible. And it was this amazing place where everyone could go and it was completely free and there's always this passing down of knowledge. Mm. And the, I was really quite lucky that our drop zone organized a couple of really cool, like um, I've done a Nick Bash canopy course while I was there. Nice. And just to have, to have these, you know, rock stars of our sport openly you know obviously you're paying for a coaching fee but it was since then i've sent nick messages going hey mate going to be downsizing to this canopy you know thought about this and this what do you think and then you'll get a message back saying yeah hey mate how you been yeah i'd probably do this and this so that idea that the best in the world will more than happily talk and share and spread information with anyone oh yeah it's almost like if, if you were getting into go-karting you wouldn't give you know, Lewis Hamilton a, a quick text message right. to say, you know, thinking about this, where that's what you can do in this sport. And I thought, you know, 
it's that's what I want to be a part of for sure. Well, and it's you see a, a level of humility among some of the best in the sport that I don't really see in other sports. Granted, I'm not a big part of any other sports, but um, I mean, just like having somebody like Craig Girard uh, come on the podcast, and and as I told you when we were off mic, I built my studio in a spare bathroom in my apartment. Um, so I'm literally asking people to come sit in the toilet with me for a couple of hours and tell me stories. You know, so when you're talking to somebody like Craig Girard or, you know, any of the other world-class athletes that I've had come sit in here and tell me about, you know, their life in skydiving, it never escapes me that, wow, this person came to sit in a toilet with me and just shoot the shit, so to speak. You know, and that's a, that's a level of humility that I never, um, I never fail to enjoy and really take advantage of because there's such spectacular people in the sport and they do these incredible things that I'll never be able to do. Uh, and so it, it's always a joy when they're willing to, you know, spread the love to anybody and everybody, all experience levels. It is, it's, it's one of those, uh, sports where, uh, the better you are, the more humble and the more approachable you are. Mm. So I always find this this funny period with skydive of coming through where you know, they, it becomes clicky or it becomes, you know, like, I, I don't want to jump with you because of this. Sure. Now, there are certain points of like, oh, we're doing this certain thing. We can't do the same skydive, so we're going to do something different. But, you know. Pete Allen will tell you anything, come talk to you, will we'll come jump with you, he'll come jump with you and do stuff. It's like these rock stars don't have that ego. Right. They don't have anything. They're really nice. They're quite friendly. Um, I met Anna Mox for the first time on the weekend from Zion. Nice. And uh, I've had, like, there's always been friends around friends, I've never, but I've never had the chance to actually meet her. And uh, there was one chance at the end of the day, that I could have got on a jump with her. And I was like, oh, can you, can you come for a jump? And she goes, oh, no, sorry, I'm just debriefing. I was like, oh, that's fine. And she sent me a message going, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to be rude about that. You know, and I was like, no, it's fine, you were working. You know, like for the point of someone I've just met who's a world-class skydiver to then feel like she offended me because she was like, oh, sorry, i got to work. I right. can't come for a jump. Like that was just – that's what this sport's about. It's It doesn't matter who you are. They're all – if you're worth something, you're nice. Sure, absolutely. Well, and it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what the discipline is. Um, it, everybody is, uh, at the end of the day, a skydiver. Um, and that links into this amazing community. Uh, and it's a community where they do amazing things like that, and, and you make friends super quick, and you can have these fantastic times, and everybody's kind of taking the piss with everybody else, and, and it's all good-natured, or almost all good-natured fun that has a draw to it that I can't imagine isn't just infectious to everybody. Even if you don't want to be a skydiver, and I'm sure you've seen this now uh, in your years jumping, more times than I can count, people would come out to the drop zone to cheer on a family member doing a tandem, or it's the girlfriend of a jumper or the boyfriend of a jumper that's coming out to watch what's going on, and they don't have any desire to skydive, but they're the ones that are staying at the bonfire the fucking latest. And they're, oh my God, this community's amazing. And this, you guys are having so much fun and everybody's free and easy. And it's just such a, an attractive culture. It is. It's just that idea that everyone's there for a common goal of, you know, progressing and having fun and enjoying their sport. 
Sure. Well, and it's and I've I've used the phrase probably too many times. It's the the whole band of brothers mentality. Uh, at the end of the day, as as safe as we've made skydiving, which is quite safe, thanks to men much men and women much smarter than me. Um, it's still a dangerous activity. Everybody knows as they're getting ready to leave that airplane that there's a chance something's going to go wrong. And, and uh, when you do that day after day, over and over and over again with these different people, you have a bond and an understanding that that person on the step looking in your eyes is probably running through the what ifs just like you are. And uh, um, they're still jumping off the plane and grinning ear to ear all the way down to the ground with you. And it's just an incredible bond. I don't know how else you can have such a, a tight shared experience with other people. There is there is that definite, that handshake at the top, you know, like yeah, like the high five, yeah. the fist bump. It's it, it my, my, AFF, my AFF instructor, it was like he would go like, might see at the bottom. As he'd do it, right. it was like, might see at the bottom. That was his, like, the thing. And that's, it's that bit that sort of stuck with me of, like, what we're doing is inherently dangerous. Sure. Uh, and the sad thing is that it might be that last time that you, like, take it easy, man. Yep. Like, as as dramatic as that does sound. But that's what it can be like. Well, I'll tell you what, it does. It's not actually that dramatic. I was I was very early in the sport, and uh, uh, I shit. I probably only had maybe four or five hundred jumps, and I started working in the sport extremely early, just through freak of circumstance and luck. I ended up shooting video at a very busy drop zone when I had not nearly enough jumps to do so. Um, but nevertheless, I was shooting video all the time, and and uh, we had visiting people come to the drop zone. I was shooting a tandem video, and uh, cameras on, and handshakes are going on as the guy gets ready to jump out. And uh, on this particular time, I was the last handshake this guy gave in the plane, and last handshake this guy ever gave, because uh, he did not survive that jump. So when I landed, of course, that was not the first thing that I thought about. But in the ensuing days, again, being very low time in the sport, I had to kind of take stock like, oh, shit, you know, I can this this could end badly, potentially. And then it dawned on me how important that handshake was because it could be someone's last. So now I'll find myself in the plane getting ready to go for a jump. And even if it's someone that I don't particularly like, if they're within arm's reach, they're getting a handshake. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely something I've done before. Yeah, man. Is you reach out, even if there is some gripe going on, that doesn't matter. No, no. Nothing matters. Not when it comes to that, because at the end of the day, whatever petty bullshit they don't like about me or I don't like about them doesn't matter if the worst happens to one of us, because then all we're going to be thinking is, fuck, I was such a dick for no reason, and I didn't give this person a handshake when I should have. Yeah, it's, that's it. It's that big thing, man. It's it's definitely one of my personal, you know, ticks. It's that's uh, my. Uh, um, I'm not a superstitious person, but that's definitely one of my superstitions. Is make sure you give those handshakes when you can. So now it is, it's a yeah. Go 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 ahead. It's funny. It's almost like as a part of like your gear checks and everything you do personally before you get on the plane. It's just another one of those. Boxes you tick that make sure that everything's going to go right. Yeah. Now, that's the funny thing, too, is it's it's not just a, a local thing or a, a country thing. It's a, a sport thing. So you'll be on the plane with, and I've done a fair amount of traveling, so you're on the plane with uh, Japanese tand- or skydivers and, and Russian skydivers and, and uh, English and, you know, from absolutely everywhere, but from everywhere you get those handshakes and you never met this person before. It's fantastic. It's it is it's absolutely amazing. I got the opportunity to go over to a uh, 
a big tunnel camp in in Russia, and I uh, was coaching there with the Altitude Brothers. Mm. And the fact that we could turn up to a completely different country, and there's obviously there's the the political hype around Russia. Sure. Now that place and those people are absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. Like they couldn't be more hospitable. They couldn't have been like the all the instructors were super helpful. And the drop zone we went to is just as amazing. And it's like, it's amazing how this sport transcend, transcends all other crap that's going on oh, in the world. all that bullshit. Well, and it's funny too, because even now I, I work with quite a few people that are Eastern Bloc and specifically Russians. And uh, being an American, it's always a running joke because, you know, the United States and, and Russia – and uh, so it's always, ah, oh, fucking Russians, this and that. But it's all very, you know, very good natured because they're saying the same thing about us, you know, fucking communists and this and that. But it's hilarious because at the end of the day, we know it's a joke and nobody gives a fuck. It's just having fun. That's just a skydiver with a funny accent. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I've definitely copped the fact of having a funny accent living uh, living in England England for the last four years. Sure, I was going to say uh, um, you uh, you've transitioned out of Australia. Um, how, what took you to uh, to England? So it all started when I was hungover, laying on a packing mat, and uh, <laughs> sounds about right. I I looked over and seen a uh, an amazing sight, which happened to be uh, my now wife oh, wow. stood there. And um, she just happened to be getting a job working at the same drop zone that Derek was. Wow. So uh, she unfortunately had to come out to the fun jumper drop zone to um, learn how to do the manifest. Sure. And um, I just happened to say hello to her and we uh, quite cheekily, I didn't have to do anything the next day. So I was like, who wants to come drinking? <laughs> so we come back from the drop zone. We all had a couple of beers in the car. And uh, awkwardly, everyone else bailed except for her. And she'd already got changed. So uh, she was stuck having a uh, technically a date with me. <laughs> and uh, since then, we're five and a half years in and been second wedding anniversaries in uh October. Wow. So. Well, fuck. Congratulations, man. That's very cool. Yeah, Although I'll tell you what, you did fuck up one thing though, because people do the other direction. They go from the UK to Australia to work in skydiving. Nobody does anybody go to England to be a skydiver. <laughs> I mean, so what England's got is a good tunnel system, limited tunnels, sure. and shit weather. Yeah. So. You can always go to Spain and you can always get jumps in over the summer, but to be able to maintain a living, you need bad weather and <laughs> constant, constant tunnel. So it was one of those things where what I seen it as was access into Europe as the, as the experience. Sure. So to get over from Australia to Europe, you know, it's a, it's quite a big expense and it's a not, you don't do it every year. Sure. But living in England, you know, I can whip over to Flanders Boogie by car. Which is amazing. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like these, the opportunity to be in Europe. And it was also a point where uh, 
the costings for Australian visas was going to cost us something like seven to ten thousand Australian dollars to get my wife a visa, or cost six hundred Australian dollars to get a visa in England. So the math works. It was one of those things where you know, and uh, so at that given point, I'd quit my job. So it was a bit like I quit my job. We're moving to England. It's all going to happen. And um, a friend of mine, Holly, who works at Down Under, uh, I Fly Down Under, mm-hmm. um, she gave me some good pointers on how to fill out a good application form for uh, I Fly in the UK. And uh, I got a phone call the day before we flew to England, <laughs> seeing if I wanted a job interview on the Wednesday. So I uh, landed after 30 hours of study on the plane of how to prepare for an interview. <laughs> and... Uh, managed to score a job the first week I was in England. So Damn. Yeah, so I worked worked for iFly for almost three years and I absolutely sunk myself in. I just if you if you name it, I did it tunnel wise. It was all the way through. I I got a hold of the uh, the IBA logbook, what we all coach from within iFly mm-hmm. and I studied it and I flew with everyone that come through that building. And I just worked my ass off all the way up to my level four. So, well, and that's kind of what you have to do. I mean, it's. Um, I come from such a different generation as well. I used to be a tunnel instructor back when you had to wear big baggy suits and you had a max of 120 wind, and it wasn't wall to wall air. I flew in the Vegas tunnel, man. Yeah. It was sick. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a fucking blast. <laughs> it is retro from hell, and I, I I will tell people I'm a damn good tunnel flyer when it's soft wind and I need a really big suit. You put me in a modern tunnel and it's back to student status, which is fun for me. I, I quite enjoy it. And the Vegas tunnel was very limited, but shit, I ended up with a couple hundred hours flying in there and God knows how much more instructing, but it wasn't instruction. It was show people a good time, fly them around, hold on to them if they're out of control, flip them around. I mean, we used to play catch with uh, students. We'd uh, just use the burble effect to control them. You'd literally let somebody go up as far as they could possibly go as long as you could burble them. <laughs> There's safety? No. No. Man, I gave, I gave the instructors that were there a bit of a fright when I jumped in. So I was the opposite, taking all this knowledge I had of slick flying and, and <laughs> like uh, modern tunnel flying. Sure. And I just basically flew around a little bit on my belly and then thought, you know, I could just outface on the spot and sort of like go into like a uh, a head down spin and off I went. <laughs> nice. Nice. You just see the instructor like running around going, what's your number? <laughs> Scaring the living hell out of people, yeah. Well, it's funny for me, I was I was never, uh, I'm not a naturally built tunnel flyer. I'm five foot nine in a, in a bit and, uh, you know, what am I, almost 90 kg. So I'm not designed to fly well in a tunnel, especially not one with soft air. So Vegas, I always had to learn to fly huge and super, super aggressive. And of course, you take that flying style into a modern tunnel and it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, man, there's uh, there's no padded walls. It's nice plank glass for you to find yourself on. Oh, yeah. And I found it there a few times. <laughs> I, uh, uh a friend of mine uh, took me into the Paraclete tunnel once, and and uh, I misread what I thought he was signaling me to do, and tried to kick onto my head and slammed into a wall substantially higher than he wanted me to be. <laughs> it's good fun. Yeah, uh, I've had, I've had the opportunity of knocking myself out clean. Nice. We were doing learning the uh, 
I was not really learning. It was trying to push the dynamic dive pool as fast as I could and uh, went the wrong way on one of the pages for a movement and the, the guy I was flying with went the right way. We clipped shins and it punched me into the wall and it basically like with the back of your head, like the lower, yeah. where your G3 is written on the, uh, the back of your G3. All right. I basically scrubbed that off. Ooh. And uh, he cracked his helmet down the side, but he didn't get knocked unconscious. And he just basically like burbled me till I come down in his arms. Like we had the thing topped out flying in skin suits. Like it was sure. fast. And I sort of woke up, sat on the bench outside the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's funny because looking back, uh, the majority of my injuries in skydiving weren't in skydiving. They were in the tunnel, in the Vegas tunnel. Um, and you've flown it so you know there's not wall-to-wall air there. So you can actually fall off the air column from 25 feet, um, which is a substantial fall, even onto pads. Uh, and yeah, I man, broke you, my... you land funny on a wrist or an ankle or... Oh, yeah. Well, I landed yeah. on my ass and actually kicked myself in the nose, broke my nose. Um <laughs> Right, because we didn't have full face helmets back then, you know. Um, and a lot of the time, when the staff would go in and fly, we wouldn't wear helmets. You're just going in and, and flying, and so I didn't have a helmet on. I kicked myself in the face, and of course, what's the first thing you do when you think you're hurt? You go back to doing what you thought you hurt yourself doing to pretend you weren't hurt. Uh, but because I kicked myself in the nose, as soon as I jumped back into the air, my entire face just burst into blood. Which oh, is, man. Oh, yeah. Which is now in the windstream. So the blood eventually is making its way back around to hit my chest. And it was just gory as fuck. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. Really brutal. And then uh, I still, to this day, have problems with a shoulder from doing a, a death spin with my old SkySurf partner in that tunnel. So the tunnel is dangerous you can hurt yourself in those fucking things oh man the uh it's really quite funny it's one of those things of that plank glass it's not forgiving no, no. at all in the modern tunnels it's ridiculous some of the some of the simple stuffs of like uh kicking out the wall and kicking it on the wrong ankle especially oh, yeah. dudes fascinating sit fly yeah Snap an well, ankle just like that. Done. I, rem I remember because I was actually working in the Vegas tunnel when they were talking about the first big tunnel that was going to be wall-to-wall -wall air, and we all thought it was, sounded insane. What? What are you going to – no, that's just not going to work. And, and everybody was trying to figure out how this could possibly work. And, of course, cut to now, well, there's, there's tunnels every damn where, and they're truly amazing tunnels, but they're not as forgiving as those big blue padded walls in Vegas, for sure. I know. Those were fuzzy. Yeah, so, I was. I heard a bit of a story of America's. You can drive three hours in any direction and almost find a wind tunnel these days. That sounds about right. Some towns have two and three tunnels. It's crazy. There, I mean, it's. Um, I talked to Olaf Zipser for a little while about it, and and uh, he seems to be under the impression that the tunnel flying is going to eventually be quite a detriment to skydiving, um, because if people can do all the fun things that they can do in the tunnel um, without the risk of uh, death in the same way that it is in skydiving, then he thinks they're going to go that route. I seem to think a little bit differently, and it's because of guys like you that are doing the dual discipline training, uh, training in the tunnel and in the sky. They're going to show people that they're two different disciplines that are, are absolutely linked, but they're two separate joys. I, I massively think that tunnels are currently 
too expensive, but the sport itself doesn't have enough of a a uh, a draw and an advertisement. It's mm. it's a very much a very expensive. Yeah, the biggest views you get are like the solo freestylists. Sure. Now, unless unless you are a young wanting to progress through, it's not really like a oh, that's what I want to do. And right. the problem with formation skydiving is that it looks inherently boring to watch. Sure. So like the the draw isn't there for it to become this fun sport and this massive advertisement compared to skydiving as that slight extreme sport. And sure. there's that point where people, lots of dudes that get into skydiving have either come out of a breakup or they've saved up a heap of money from having an inherently quiet lifestyle mm. and now want to do something exciting. Sure. So it's like tunnel flying's not as exciting enough to be that money spinner for sure. me. Sure. So I see like my biggest clientele is that you know early 40s guy who's you know kids are now older, he's got the money, he's got into skydiving or used to skydiving right. and then smashes out the tunnel to go do those rock star rock star skydives with uh the people that he sees in these videos sure well you know i think that uh you know the midlife crisis guys for sure are a fantastic market for exactly that and uh, i think especially for the type of guy you describe being able to perfect in a tunnel um, what he wants to go do in the sky seems like a very logical and, and good way to do it. And it is, um, I mean, that's, a, that's a great way to go learn. And that, you know, that midlife crisis guy more than likely has disposable cash that he can go play with, uh, for those yeah. that, uh, that don't have that disposable cash, the younger skydivers that are, you know, working as packers for a living, getting that tunnel time can be pretty difficult. And I see a lot of that. It turns into people pushing to do what you're doing, which is work in the tunnel. So the people that really have a passion for the tunnel end up pushing hard to try and work in the industry. The uh, the hardest thing that skydivers find about getting into being in the tunnel is that tunnels aren't run by skydivers anymore. Mm. They're run by businessmen and sales. Sure. And and the biggest hint I ever got about getting a job at the tunnel was do not talk about skydiving. It's you're not there to do what I did, which is basically get through, get all the skills, and then develop your own business. Right. You're there to do a first-timer experience. And the biggest thing that I've taken away from being a tunnel instructor is you get this 13 people. They've all got two minutes each. You need to give them the time of their life in two minutes, which I'm pretty good at. And then from there, you've got to uh, make them buy more time, make them come back, and then write a good review for the company. Sure. Now, this dude is bigger than you. He's got no appreciation of how hard your job is or what you plan to do with your life. You're just working in a theme park to him. Right. And he's not listening to you give instructions to him, and you still got to smile at him. Yep. So – what I took from that is that skydiver who 
has that money, is can be quite arrogant, is still not going to listen to you, even when you're doing one-on-one coaching and you still have to smile to them. <laughs> so it's like, if you can learn to do that, working at the tunnel, smile through it all, be friendly, keep that composure the whole time so nothing affects you, then you take that directly over into your, your personal coaching. Sure. And then people people are paying you to progress them, to be safe, to have fun, where if you, know, if you treated it like you were trying to smack them every time they did something wrong, then they're not going to enjoy that coaching. Of course, and not. that's the hard that's the hard thing that dudes burn out on at the tunnel is that the pay is not the greatest. It's really you work every other you know lots of weekends, and mm. you know the end goal is can be quite hard because if you're not good enough, then you don't get your level four rating. You sure. don't get to become a coach. So it's that piece of string of how hard do you work at something and do can you mis- maintain that goal sure well and that's the big difference between the tunnel and skydiving because you can um as soon as you hit the jump numbers go become an adequate tandem instructor um or a decent enough cameraman and make good money you know depending on where you go if you're at the right drop zone you can put some real change in your pocket and not be amazing at your job just passable um, you know, you don't have to, because it's literally just, uh, yep. He got out, he threw the drug when he was supposed to, he did his handles checks, parachute opened up. The student was smiling. Good deal. Camera yep. guy. Yep. He was in focus. He got all the shots that we require job done. But when you're standing in that tunnel and you've not just flying, you know, dealing with the person that you're flying, but you've got every other student you're working with watching you, there's, it's a lot more, you know, scrutiny and a lot more pressure is it's, it's all right there. It's people aren't overloaded when they're sitting on the bench waiting their turn. They're watching exactly what's going on. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's that fine line of having professionalism in all regards to what you do. Sure. Because everyone's watching you might make some offhand comment you might say something that just affects what how someone thinks of you and they just think oh, i'm not gonna get coaching with him done sure. See, as easy as that that was the best part about working in the vegas tunnel none of us were professional <laughs> we, <laughs> we were just fucking having fun i mean i i literally started working in the tunnel maybe three months after the very first time i ever flew in the tunnel because i fucking bugged the manager so much and came and flew so much he finally just went do you, do you want a job <laughs> and put Duh. me to work it was fucking great and it literally just i think my my uh, training to become an instructor in the tunnel was a few days long before i was taking classes uh, you know, and, and then you're just having at it, but you weren't teaching anyone because it was an amusement ride in the, in the real sense. Yeah. It wasn't, there was no, all right, once we get you through this, we can teach you to do this type of freestyle or this type of free flying or head up or head down. That didn't exist. It was, you're flying on your belly and you can learn to go up and down and back and forth. And that was about it for most people. So it was very much just have a good time. All the instructors killed time until the end of the day when we got to have a staff flight where we would open the doors, turn up the fan as high as it would go with no one in the control room, and then literally fly until we couldn't fly anymore. I'll tell fantastic. you what, that's, that, that's definitely changed oh, over yeah. the years, more tunnels. It's so, so not like strict's the wrong word, but it's set out. It's sure. set out. You fly this amount of time, don't fly a minute more. 
they check the timings, they do this. They, it's like that. Oh. God no. We used to we used to have uh, like a King of the Hill was the game that we would play all the time and we would have four, five, six, seven instructors in the tunnel fighting to see who could stay at the highest point in the air column, burbling each other, fucking Mad Max, you know, Thunderdome kind of everybody, somebody left bloody every single time. It was brutally fun. You're just tracking full speed into well as much speed as you could get or you jump to the wall and then dive off the wall and land on your buddy's back. 15 feet up and try and knock him into the pads it was vicious and so much fun there's a on weekends so i i cut my teeth at ifly basingstoke and we had a, we had a pretty good crew and um you get to fly every weekend that you work so you get 40 minutes for the crew to fly at the end of whenever they want to break it up sure and quite quite often the last five minutes you know once everyone had done some flying and whatnot it was you put it on a bit of a high belly speed and then it was like see who could like arm bar each other or who could rip each other's shoes off or who could like and it was just wrestling. Yep. Yep. It's, just, it's and it, you know the funny thing is I probably learnt more in those five minutes than you ever learn on anything else because there is there is no pressure to learn anything. It's literally survive. Oh, yeah. No, it's just a shit show at that point. It's just a full-on huck jam where you're doing whatever you possibly can. Uh, I was just in the tunnel recently with a bunch of staff as well, and, of course, you're trying to do something, and everybody's sit-flying and having a little bit of fun, and invariably the old tunnel flyer in me will go, all right, my buddy's right there, and he's actually starting to get his uh, his sit-fly down, so I need to track into him and try and wrap my thighs around his head. <laughs> Because I just like a gentle verbal, just to let know somebody you love him. No, no, I'm throwing my (laughs) balls in his face, you know. I'm and trying to take him out, you know, because it's fun, you know. And the same stuff that I do on on zoo skydives as well, obviously within reason when it comes to the skydives. But yeah, it just just pure mayhem and fun. Now, in regard to your your coaching and stuff, how did you get started with the with the coaching uh, business, and how did you decide you wanted to be able to coach both uh, in the air and in the tunnel? So I had an amazing um, person working at the tunnel. Well, he wasn't. He was doing what I'm doing now. So Paul Capsey from Euphoria, mm-hmm. um, he was doing what I was doing now. And it basically the way it works with iFly in this country is you have a coach account, you get a certain rate for it, and then you pay a certain coach fee on top, and then you can sell your own product right. alongside iFly. And you can he you would pick the days you would work, find the clientele at the drop zones, and then bring them and coach them. Mm. And so the idea that in the in England you need to get your coach ratings, so you need to be a free fly coach and a tracking coach, and mm. there's an FS coach as well. And once you've got them, then you can sign off on people's uh, stickers, so they can free fly with their friends, track sure. with their friends, and do belly. So that opens up having that ability to skydivers see you as that and then they see you as a tunnel instructor as well alongside and this this does sound silly but having a couple of medals it it sounds like a bit big-headedness or whatever but I've had two students directly say oh yeah I just seen that you had a gold medal in that so um I was flicking through the coaches and went, oh, he's got a gold medal in that. He must be good. I'll just go with him. Sure. And so 
without even knowing me for a personality or a coach or anything. So it's one of those things where Paul said, sky ratings, tunnel ratings, get some medals, and people want to fly with you. Yeah, and I that's mean, it. For, I mean, looking at it from that perspective, if I didn't know anything um, and I'm looking for a coach in this, you know, new wild and crazy sport with all this different shit going on, I'm going to look for the guy that's got the medal hanging on the wall. I'll give that guy a shot. And then if we vibe, then I'm going to stick with that instructor. And if we don't, then it's all right, on to the next. Um, so, yep. and that's where the personality skills really come in. And again, where the sport lends itself to being able to find someone you're going to be able to work really, really well with. And there are people that, and this is coming from a guy that is a, very much a student in the tunnel. Uh, there are a couple of instructors out there uh, that just instantly put you at ease, um, uh, you know, learning things that are relatively difficult, you know, flying on your head for the first time, coming up off the net unassisted, and all these things that when you're doing it are so difficult in the tunnel that all you're thinking is, but fuck, I know how to free fly in the sky. How come it's so hard here? Um, and you, you look across at this person and as soon as you make eye contact and see the smile, you go, Oh, okay, cool. And that makes all the difference in the world. For me, that's the perfect kind, but for somebody else, they want someone that's going to be more, you know, military about it. And they want to look over and see real clear, concise signals, not just a, a smile and a shrug. Uh, so there's somebody for everybody, but at the end of the day, the first person you're going to pick should be the most experienced and then you work your way. It is. It is massively one of those things where personalities, like if you click with someone and you get someone, mm. you they learn. You learn. You learn. They learn. Everything happens so much easier. And oh, having yeah. that open, so that open relationship where, like, I I'm quite blunt as a person, sure. but it's more like I'll explain that I'm blunt and that. All I'm trying to do is make it better for you, make it quicker. So, like, if you have a blunt response to me, like, I don't understand, I'm like, sweet, I can explain this another way. Sure. Like, we need to keep the keep the bit going. And I find I find I work well with with military people quite well because of the monkey see, monkey do. Sure. Like during the session, you'll be able to achieve. By the end of the session, you will. And it's like setting clear goals and going off. Oh yeah, and uh, a part of this, it may seem, um, I I like working with women as well, and being married, I find that um, that whole being in a room with another woman would be quite confronting for them. You know, you you'd sit man and woman in a room where there's none of that with any of my coaching because I'm married, and because it's like that, it's always a quite relaxed platonic sure environment which is you don't which is quite hard to come by in the world of skydiving of how bad <laughs> skydivers can be <laughs> that's a very polite way to put it <laughs> it's all about keeping professionalism that's the that's the, the key yeah yeah well you know it was as an aff instructor i had a few different types that i liked and the military guys were great because you would tell them what to do and whether they knew what it meant or not they'd do it and then they'd do it the right way, the way that you showed them, it would work and they'd go, okay, that's how I do this. <laughs> so it was just very yeah. much a do this. Yes, sir. I'm going to do that. Um, I tell and you, the, the quickest people I've ever taught are dudes that are learning to fly helicopters. Oh, I'm sure. Like I've, I've taken a dude from 
never flown on his head before to sharing four-way head down in two and a half hours. Jesus Christ. And it was like, as I would say something to him, he would like not talk while I was talking. He'd go, I don't understand. All right, understand. Let's do that. And it was like every two-minute rotation just progressed. And it was just... Like to the point where he was having he was having troubles with transitions and in, in one five minute rotation uh, two minute rotation, and I said, "Look, you need to find something to say to yourself to just do this. You're doing everything perfect. Find it in your own head, and do it." Yeah. And it was like he sat and he looked. And he went, "I found it." And we got back in <laughs> second transition over, flying it by himself. And Lovely. it was like. It's those dudes that are ready to learn, like that are already learning and just go, I believe what this coach is telling me. I'm doing it. Off they go. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you're the same as me. One of the the coolest things about uh, being an instructor, whether it's tandem or AFF or whatever it may be, is uh, um, the puzzle. And it's very much a puzzle because you never really quite know what you're going to get with an individual, even if they you know, put themselves out one way on the ground, that can change pretty dramatically in the air. As we've all seen, the instant you let go of the airplane, you never know if you're still jumping with the same person. Um, (laughs) You know, I've seen dramatic changes in the course of just letting go. Uh, So I always thoroughly enjoyed having to um, puzzle out how can I get this information into that person's head in a way that they're going to understand because it might not be anything like how I'm going to deal with it. And it was always super cool when you had to step out of your comfort zone to teach it in a slightly different way and then figure out that worked. And you're like, fuck, yeah, all right, this was good. And it was uh, uh, always such a feeling of accomplishment when you would see the light bulb go on over your student's head and you're like, they fucking got it. It's awesome. And you're just fired up about it. Oh, man, I tell you, there's uh, – I had a dude last night who uh, had a pre-deployment on a skydive two and a half years ago. So he was head down. His mm. pilot suit came out, basically almost tore his elbow off, Oof. like his arm off from his elbow. So he spent the last two years learning how to use his arm again, three or four surgeries, you know, all the shebang. Sure. And, um, we did our first unassisted transitions to head down. And because he hadn't cracked head down before he got hurt in the tunnel. So it's sure. been like a four year, you know, three, five year sort of like goal for him to be head down. Sure. And from a, from a, you know, dude in his late forties, early fifties, I don't want to really insult him. I'm not sure how old he is actually. Uh, he gave me a genuine hug in the, the seating area, like after the rotation it was one of those things where, like, I come out after him and his arms are open. And he's like, I did it. I did it. That, oh, like, genuine, like, great hug. And, like, that that was just, like, so rewarding to have oh, yeah. him click off on that. And then understand that the light bulb, the smile, the ama- everything attached to it. Like, oh, yeah. That's it, the reason why you do coaching. For sure. Well, and that's one of the reasons that uh, um, now after all my jumps, my favorite way to skydive looking back is tandems because of the ability to share with and, and, you know, dive into somebody else's life like that. And then AFF for exactly that reason, especially when you have a student that's having a really tough time and you figure out the puzzle and you manage to get them over that hump and they not just do it, but they do it, understand it, understand why it happened, and they can do it forever. Um, that the uh, the joy that they have out of that, and the um, tr- 
true appreciation that they have for what you gave them. I mean, shit, where else do you get something like that? That's amazing. Yeah, right? that's, it's so true. And so, like, I'm on the, the higher end into the free flow world. We've got we've got this sticker called TR3 in this country, which is basically vertical tracking skydiving. Okay. So any move, any movement, belly or back over 45 degrees. Okay. And so to sign the dive off, it's a bit vague in the book. So a few of us have got together and sort of like chatted out what we should expect for someone. And uh, to have a student be vertical and then go into movement and be able to track and then transition onto their belly over and to watch them fly, actually be able to fly their body and move over and develop that freedom. Mm. Like that, to watch that come alive in them, it's like, oh man, it's amazing. You know, like vertical moving that comes over and just to have them put that video up on social media and be like, like, Absolutely. The, the best skydive I've done ever. Like that, that feeling is just amazing. Oh, of course. Well, it's kind of funny because, uh, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, the paycheck is nice, but that's what it's really about. Uh, it's times like that when you're like, fuck, they pay me for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I make it's money a, to do this, you know? I mean, granted, when rent comes around, you're glad you're getting paid, but it really is a labor of love. Um, and it's kind of funny, too. I'm sure it's the same in the tunnel. You know, people will say uh, the whole, uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, which is bullshit. Uh, it just means you work really hard at something that you truly love. I work my ass off in skydiving. I have since day one. But there's a reason that I'm still in it, you know, 25 years later. It's it's a passion, you know, and a, a labor of love, so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's so, it's one of those things where, like, I work three to four nights a week in the tunnel just because it's very convenient and it's the best time for everyone else to fly. And um, sometimes I'll have some students that want to fly before work. So I'll leave that tunnel at, you know, 11 o'clock, quarter past 11 in the evening, and I'll be back in at 8 a.m. the next morning. Oh, man. And, you know, like I, I said, thought about it the other day. I was like, man, like I'm, I'm getting home having five or six hours sleep and getting back in the car and going back to this place. Yet, I was the one that did the booking and I was the one that organized it. And it yep. was like, I'm my own worst enemy of a thing I love. Like, <laughs> like I wasn't complaining. I didn't complain. All I was thinking was, oh man, I've got to make sure I have a coffee before I get there so I can be nice. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that was the. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, for me, it's the alarm still sucks in the morning. Uh, but as soon as the alarm's gone off and the initial shock of, fuck, I got to get up, it becomes a, all right, let's go. Here we go. It's time to go back yeah. and do this or that. And I mean, of course, everybody has bad days doing what they do, but they seem to be few and far between in our uh, respective sports, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I quite often get people ask me, uh, you know, like, do, do students frustrate you <laughs> when they can't get something? And you're like, it, it does not phase me in the slightest. Mm. Like, no one would pay me this amount of money to like be here and to for me to get frustrated at them yeah because sure. they're already frustrated for the fact that they don't get it right you, you don't need to add to their frustration of something that i make look very easy and they can't get it they're already hating the fact that they don't understand it as quickly as sure. other people sure and it's really that fun thing of i'm like if someone's not getting something i probably actually care more or am 
the nice is the wrong word, but like even nicer, like that that genuine sure. friendlier, you know. like it's fine. The you know the support of like it's good. You know that's it. That's fine. Yeah, you've almost got it. That's fine. Like right. As someone's not getting it, like the frustration never gets to me because someone's not learning. Like sure. where's where's the fun in that? Well, and especially if you're talking about taking skydivers into the tunnel to teach them a lot of these things, like no skydiver I know has an ego, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no skydiver I know doesn't want to admit that they can't do this, that, or the other thing. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's very humbling and it's great to see, especially when you take a jumper into the tunnel. And I was recently flying again with friends and watching an extremely accomplished medalist in skydiving, trying to learn to sit fly in the tunnel. Um, and instead of being pissed off and frustrated, he was just giggling the entire time. Cause he's like, are you kidding me? I got like 15,000 skydives. I cannot figure out how to do this, but he was loving learning, uh, which is exactly the same as me. I, I get in the tunnel and I, for all intents and purposes, suck ass, but I have a really fun time doing it. Oh that- man. Laughter, you- laughter learns some of the best coaching advice I've got or have given is you just need to smile and talk to me. Oh, yeah. Like I want you, to, I want you to tell me how shit your day job is while you're sitting there flying in a tunnel. Right. That'll make you appreciate what what you're actually doing and how much fun you're having. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. I had a, and I've told the story before. Uh, I had an AFF student that just was not getting it. Made it through the first few levels, and we had gotten to the level where he's he's needing to turn left and right, and he'd start turning left and couldn't stop. Um and <laughs> Just couldn't stop the spin. And, of course, then he's getting into his head by the time he's repeated the level twice. And he was really getting frustrated. And he came up to me and he's like, you know, I I don't think this is for me. I think maybe it's time for me to walk away. I just can't get this. And so I told him, all right, look, do me a favor. Give me one more jump. I'm going to change the dive flow up on you a little bit. And and we're going to try something just a bit different and see. And so we made this jump. And I get out and I told him, all I'm going to do is I'm going to fly around in front of you. And all you're going to do is sit and smile at me. Check your altimeter, sit and smile at me, do your handles, touches, smile at me, and then pull in place. He's like, what? I'm like, just do that. Because, again, the, the turns were killing him. And so we jump out, and, and I get in front of him. And, and, of course, he's got this stern face, and I give him a super goofy grin. So he smiles and then checks his altimeter. By the end of the skydive, he's got a legitimate grin on his face because I'm laughing so hard and giggling. And, and uh, when we land, um, we go and debrief the jump. And the first time he sees it, he's not really paying attention to what he's seeing. All he sees is himself smiling back at the camera. And uh, I played it for him a second time, and I'm like, all right, don't look at you. Look at the background. And this time he finally looks at the background of the horizon, and he realizes that the entire skydive, I'm doing a 90 left orbit around him and then a 90 right orbit around him and back and forth and back and forth. I just shut off his brain, made him smile, and he was turning with no problem. And from then on, he had it. And it was, and of course, he was laughing his ass off, going, I don't believe that worked. And I'm like, dude, you were just too far inside your head, beating yourself up and, and thinking the wrong things. And on this jump, you were just having fun. That's it. You know, and it worked. There's, there is nothing better than a game of tag with a, someone who's learning belly. Right. So a little like, I'll tag you on the forehead, like on the top of your helmet, and then you try and tag me. Yeah. There is nothing better than making someone do that who's having trouble learning to fly. Yeah, because they forget about trying to fly and all they want to do is smack you in the forehead. Yep, done. Which is it's amazing. Say, you obviously say something smart to them before you get in the tunnel as well, just to give them a bit of personal love. Uh, oh, of course. 
<laughs> oh, of course. No, well, that's that's probably my other favorite thing about skydiving and tunnel flying is as soon as you get into the community portion of it, it's all cheap shots, low blows, and backhanded compliments, which I personally love. Um, unfortunately, I haven't learned how to keep it out of the real world as well, so I've pissed off a lot of people that don't understand my humor. But uh, it, I, it, I've told people, too, if I'm not fucking with you or if I didn't say something borderline offensive, it means I don't care. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's more like the the more I insult you, it's the more I actually like you. Absolutely. That's the, Absolutely. Yeah. And that seems to be relatively sport-wide. I mean, obviously, sometimes it gets taken too far. But for the most part, if I've got friends that aren't taking cheap shots at me, my first thought is, fuck, what did I do wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, there must be something going on in their life. They're a bit of a sad sack at the moment. <laughs> yeah, nobody's insulted me today or something. Nobody's called me princess or asshole or whatever. <laughs> so we've got one thing uh, we haven't talked about yet, and that's speed skydiving, yeah? Man, it's uh, it's the one discipline that lets me just do what I want to do. And speed is so – the being a part of speed as a discipline is uh, – an amazing solo activity where I can just disappear and challenge myself and that little GPS device to go as fast as I can. So it's, it's literally uh, just about getting as much speed as you can. The, uh, the official rules is uh, you need to hold the fastest speed between the exit height of 14,000 and the deployment height of uh, 5,500 for three seconds. So there's a moving window and your fastest three seconds in that window is your speed. Wow. Now we're talking, so, we're talking specialized gear and everything for this. So not, not especially, uh, I, I fly a vector rig and, uh, what I've done is just change the magnets up a little bit in it. Okay. Um, I just added another magnet and I just changed the type of magnet I use. And then, uh, apart from that, I wear my skin suit from the, uh, that I fly in the tunnel. So my boogeyman skin suit. Okay. And I just go to G3. So it's one of those things where dudes are, dudes are starting to get to that, uh, that point of, you know, uh, different helmets and sure and test different rigs, but it's such in its infancy. Well, it's not really into infancy, but because we've changed over to using FlySight, it's become extremely accurate. Sure. It's a resurgence of that particular side of the sport. Because I remember, oh God, I don't even know how many years ago now, there was an ad that would come out in Parachutist and it was, uh, um, I, you know, I don't even know what the hell they were advertising, but uh, it was a neoprene, almost neoprene, shiny red skin tight suit with a, uh, a racer rig that was made out of the same rubberized material and what looked like one of those um, Lance Armstrong speed helmets for cycling. Um, and it was pretty full on, but I, it's kind of disappeared. So uh, it's funny that it's made quite the resurgence. The, uh, it's, it's quite big and it's quite growing in, in England because We've got a couple of really good dudes that that do it, and uh, like Mikey Lovemore, one of the guys at the drop zone that I work at, he's a, a big name in speed as well, and he's he hasn't got quite a lot of pull, but he's quite fun to be around. So it's one of those things where he he draws people into the sport, which drawed me in massively. Mm. And the the biggest thing I love about it is 
I love to compete, but I hate it when uh, so doing freestyle. The judge, it's what the judge thinks of your routine. Sure, uh, it's subjective. In speed, it's yeah. So uh, in speed, the the result is just objective, and you hand your device in from the jump run. There you go. He they measure it, and the scores come up, and awesome. then that's it. Awesome. What kind of speeds and are you reaching? So my fastest in competition has been 494 kilometers an hour. Jesus fucking Christ. And uh, outside of competition, it's a bit faster than that, but it's always that that point of being able to turn it on on the day that sure. really counts. Now, when you're, so. when you're going those kind of speeds, I'd imagine you're trying to come out of this really high. I mean, it's got to be pretty difficult once you get to that speed. No, so it's it's literally like the bottom gate is five five. Like you got to keep pushing through five five. Um, yeah, yeah. It's and it's quite interesting. We had a we had a bit of a meeting at the last World Cup, and um, Ice was like, "Yo, can we bring everything up a thousand feet?" And I don't know if it's the mentality or the the, the thought process, but there was an overwhelming. No, it's fine. <laughs> from all the top competitors, everything. It was literally like, you know, the idea when you pull out, you you just gently level out onto your belly. So you, some some do sort of like hardcore track out of it by right. changing their body position, and then other dudes just bail straight onto their belly. But it's inherently easy to slow down from from the fast speeds to. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes. Yeah, you are opening it a bit faster than what you want to, but uh, sure. it's nothing inherently dangerous, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah. The yeah, scary yeah. one is having your risers blow. That's the scary one. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the thought process of, like, if something does go wrong and you are going 500 kilometers an hour, like, that whole that's that whole thing we were talking about at the start. There's only... You can you're exposing yourself to just that next level of risk. Sure. Well, and I mean that seems to be all the all the disciplines, especially the most popular ones now, have you know upped that level of risk. Whether it's um, the you know the canopy piloting now is is off the hook as far as that stuff goes, and and then that's translated into the base jumping that went to the wingsuit flying to the proximity flying, and so it's always the next level. <laughs> It's it's not going to end. I tell you, after the World Cup, so there's like, there was 20, 24 competitors, I think, or 28 competitors at the World Cup from all over the world. And there is some serious competition going in for next year. Nice. So there's um, the really cool thing about England is that it's new funding system, the way the BPA work. It's completely works on numbers these days. So it's not like you don't put a case in, you don't try and big yourself up to the association to get the money. They literally look at your score, look how many people you beat and see where you place in the world. Sure. And that will determine your likelihood of a medal at a world championship event. And that's all they do. So they go, you can have this amount of money for these scores you've got. And for speed, you know, our nationals had 14 people in it. So nice. I beat I beat 14 people 
and that's all they see, which is, it's inherently unfair when you look at VFS. So VFS has only got like three teams or four teams. So the lucky thing for speed is that they count every single solo competitor as a competitor. I'm going quite fast and it's going to set me up for Russia next year. So for 2020. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somewhere else, somewhere else to look for Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's a, and the cool thing about speed skydiving is that if you're at that intermediate stage of, you know, got your B license, but you, you don't know where, you know, you can't do this and that, and you have to go do solos, that's all you've got to be able to do. So having free fly friendly gear, be able to hold a heading and stay altitude aware, and then you can start practicing to see how fast you can go, which nice. translates directly well into to tracking as well. So, sure. Balls out tracking. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. And I'll tell you what, there is when you get to the where I'm at of you're trying to increase your numbers. So the current fastest dude in the world, unofficially, uh, Thomas, is doing 507. Wow. And, and I've done a 409. And uh, there is 1% difference between us. How crazy is that? So, you know, we are at the last World Cup. Um, it, the comp- there's no throw around, throwaway rounds. You got eight rounds, and your cumulative average is your score. So, I was second uh, leading into the comp. Jumped three, had a bad round, and it put me down to fifth like that. Wow! Yeah, it's yeah. especially when you're talking about those speeds, man. I, I'm not even a little bit surprised that it can jump like that. It's 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 so it's literally going to be and it was really funny the uh, the podium were all older lads all lads that obviously just managed to keep their cool yeah and had been seasoned competitors and just kept the consistency going and so it's a really strong mind game of keeping you cool going fast and still doing it just doing what you need to do every jump sure. Oh, so. sounds super cool, man. Something else definitely to look out for. It's uh, um, the next up and coming, it sounds like. It's definitely going to be – it's one of those disciplines that I wish that we could bring cameras along to make it a bit more uh, film-friendly or whatnot. So it's one of those disciplines where it's like it's not designed to look pretty on camera or fat sure. dudes in skin-tight suits doesn't look pretty either. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's those uh, – those numbers and that inherent chase of a to go as fast as you can. Sure. Well, who knows, man? Maybe the uh, the drone technology is going to catch up and they'll just be going with you. You, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it's a scary. That's a scary thought. Having a machine chase you that at that speed. <laughs> Most scariest pilot doing a wing over when you're flying wingsuits. Uh, yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. So um, as we're as we're getting towards the end, I want you to tell people how they can find out about uh, doing coaching with you both in skydiving and in the air. How do they find you? So my tags are JST Coaching on Instagram and Facebook, and my Facebook page is Jimmy Sky and Tunnel Coaching. Okay. Now, yep. do they go to those uh, spots to try and uh, get you as a coach to get information about you? Yeah, so all of my all of my stuffs on those two two places, and uh, you can send me a direct message. I coach anywhere in England and anywhere abroad. I do tunnel camps from anywhere from Russia to Slovakia to Poland. Nice. So 
make making a camp is really easy. Nice. You find some accommodation, you book some tunnel time, and you book a flight, and off we go. All right. So one more time, give me both of those nice and slow so everybody gets it. So we got JST Coaching. That's on Instagram and Facebook. That's my tag. Okay. And the Facebook page is Jimmy Sky and Tunnel Coaching. All right, perfect. So everybody knows now if you're in England or, well, anywhere really, and you want some proper tunnel coaching that you can both use in the tunnel and take into the sky, it sounds like Jimmy is one of the guys you're going to want to hit up. Man, Jimmy, it's been a pleasure sitting down and talking with you. I'm really glad you took the time to uh, share some stories and and, uh, tell people what you think. My pleasure, Dean. And uh, shout out to Coca-Cola from the Cookie Crew to uh, who hooked us up. Yes. Amazing gift. Yes, absolutely. Always. And thank you so much, man. Take care of yourself. You too, Dean. Take it easy. See ya. Once again, another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void is in the can. As always, brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. Go to blueskiesmagazine.com to subscribe to the magazine if you don't already. Uh, As I always tell you, if you've got a story to tell, you've got something you want people to hear, please write it up, put pen to paper, uh, send it to the magazine. If you don't know how to send it to the magazine, then you can send it to me uh, at... uh, uh, princess at the fucking pilot.net uh you can get uh get it out there people are going to want to hear these stories you're a photographer man click 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 take pictures of every fucking thing and then send it to the magazine man you want to see your pictures on the cover or in the center folder in the magazine nothing better than seeing your photo in print fuck instagram and all that stuff when it comes to stuff like that uh, got something to advertise they are the place to go as well got something you need to get out there talk to blueskiesmagazine.com For me, I am the fucking pilot. Fuckingpilot.net is my website. That's where you can find links to this podcast, uh, as well as a little bit of swag that's on there. I've got both the books that I've written, the fucking pilot book, which is the previously published articles for Blue Skies Magazine, and The Accidental Stripper. That's all about my 11-year career taking my pants off for a living. It's how I was able to afford to become a skydiver and, and talk to you great folks right now. Now, both of those books are available in both digital and print form, and I Again, I'm working on getting that uh, audio book for The Accidental Stripper going. It's just a long fucking process. And I'm not going to lie, reading your own book is tough. But I'm working on it. So get out there, get jumping, take those pictures, do all that fun stuff. Check out my stuff. Check out Blue Skies Magazine. And we will see you next time around.